It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. And today, somebody who knows a thing or two about dealing with a natural disaster. Craig Fugate used to head up FEMA during the Obama administration, and he led Florida emergency management before that. So we reached out to him about the living nightmare for people hit hard in Florida by Hurricane Ian. That storm is blamed for more than 100 deaths in that state, many of them in the Fort Myers-Cape Coral area, where there is a lot of destruction from the fierce winds and especially from the ferocious storm surge flooding. In fact, they were still looking for victims in the Barrier Islands more than a week after Ian hit. Now, we covered a lot in our conversation about dealing with a natural disaster and recovering from it. So much we could not fit it all into the rundown podcast the other day. Today, a different story. These extras have unlimited time, so we use it. Thank you, as always, for joining us. And if you'd like, and we hope you do, please subscribe. If you already have, we appreciate it. And now Craig Fugate on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Joining us on the Fox News Rundown is Craig Fugate. He's the former FEMA administrator, you might recall, from the Obama administration. Also, one-time director of Florida Emergency Management, so he knows his way around disaster areas like we have in a lot of Florida, especially the southwest part of the state where Hurricane Ian hit first and hit hardest. Craig, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, Ian ranks up there, right, as is certainly in the modern history of Florida, one of the worst storms to hit the state. Yeah, I refer to it as Southwest Florida's version of Hurricane Andrew. It's so devastating that, you know, it's going to change a lot of things as we learn from it and rebuild from it. You've seen all the pictures, what happened to those barrier islands cut off, like Pine Island and Sanibel and Fort Myers Beach. A lot of it looked like Mexico Beach when Hurricane Michael hit just a couple of years ago. I mean, there's devastation. That's going to take years, right? Absolutely. And, and again, what you're seeing is what water does. Um, people look at that, and I think some people think that's wind damage. And that's that's what the power of the storm surge and those that water rushing in and the pounding waves on structures just takes everything out in this path that isn't built for those types of events. You know, I, I think the, the term storm surge, it doesn't do justice to what it is i mean it's so devastating to watch the videos of those streets that look just like a roaring ocean when ian came ashore it's so violent and so powerful storm surge seems like just a term that doesn't fit what what happens yeah i think there's going to be a lot of discussion on um you know people are talking about the cone of uncertainty how do you communicate this I think we really need to focus on is uh, forecasting and providing people, both decision makers and the publics, on the impacts of these storms. And and really, I, this is the work 
you know, the weather service is already doing with social scientists, but really get with the social scientists and get with people and says, when you heard storm surge, what did you think? And what would have, how, you know, having now gone through this, how should we have been describing this so it would have matched up before it happened with what the impacts you saw? Certainly there are people on Fort Myers Beach or Sanibel or some of those places where Ian hit first, that if they knew what was going to happen would not have stayed. Um, I think there's a certain skepticism, right? Generally, the media is just trying to scare us. It's not going to be that bad. We've been through these before. That's, I think, part of it. I also, because I'm, 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 I'm not in the area, but I'm seeing these interviews, and things that I'm hearing is people who had gone through Hurricane Charlie in 2004, people had gone through Hurricane Irma, on those barrier islands didn't have those really, you know, catastrophic impacts they had with Ian. And so this is, you know, I think one of the, one of the challenges is, and I think this is something that we'll hopefully do. We've done it in past hurricanes is go survey people in the area of impact who went through the storm and ask them, what did they do? Did they evacuated? Well, why did you evacuate? What information, you know, did you use to do that? If you didn't evacuate, what decision, you know, how did you get your information? How do you make that decision? And this isn't about being critical of their decision. It's about asking them, how did they get to that decision? And if information was presented differently, would it have changed that decision? And again, the goal here is, can we get more people to, to understand how dangerous this is, uh, that they're making an informed decision? They know the risk, they know the impacts, and their decision is based upon that versus maybe past experiences or you know, looking at products like the, the track forecast versus the impact forecast of the storm. And I think that's really how you go forward. Uh, it's easy to go back and, and see what happened. It's harder to get to why did that happen. And this is the question we need to ask. But why did you make your decision? Not being critical of it, but what information were you, were you using? What was what what resonated the most with you? And if it was presented differently, how do you convey that in a way that Somebody who hasn't ever been through this understands what, when we're saying something like storm surge that may be a little bit too sanitized. I mean, I was telling people, and I think, you know, we talk about, you know, the leading cause of death in hurricanes is water. You know, we never say the leading cause of death in hurricanes is drowning. That's a different image to people if they understand that storm surge, the deaths are likely to be to drowning. Uh, and I, I think sometimes as government officials and local officials, we, we, we almost shy away from describing this in graphic terms to break through the noise so people understand this is what I'm at risk at. This isn't like a normal, you know, water's going to come in or, or this, the risk here is, is drowning. And that's when you look at causes of death across all of these hurricanes in our history, the greatest loss of life has been due to drownings. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. When we watch stories of major floods, like we see uh, rushing water, we see places like Kentucky where streets become rivers, we see homes that are flooded. 
But in this case, you have the ocean coming in. Some people drowned in their own homes because the ocean came in and filled the house up and they died inside. That is something that most people, I don't know if they visualize that possibility. No, if you go back to Superstorm Sandy, uh, the majority of the people who lost their lives during that storm also drowned. We've had situations in Florida where it wasn't a hurricane. It was a low-pressure system coming off the Gulf and up in communities that are near where I live in Dixie and Taylor County. The water came in so fast that people drowned in their homes. And I think that's the thing people don't get, the speed this water comes in. I've heard several people say, you know, one minute I'm on dry land, the next, you know, couple of minutes I'm in the Gulf of Mexico with waves crashing through my windows and I'm going upstairs and the water is following me. Now, of course, there are a lot of people who are in the boat of now what? They don't have a home anymore or it's so badly damaged they can't live there anymore. It's a daunting thing to deal with. The first step I has to be insurance. Most of the people have it. I mean, you can't get a mortgage without it, but not everybody has flood insurance, right? Yeah, this is, this is going to be uh, a very uh, hard recovery for folks that were not covered by flood insurance. Uh, they estimate roughly 20% of the areas that had seen impact had flood insurance. We know the further inland you go, and as you move away from the storm surge and you're now dealing with the inland flooding, that the rate of flood insurance drops. Um, but you're right, you start with your insurance and you file your claims. Uh, if you did have flood insurance, FEMA has accelerated a program and they are doing partial payments. Uh, and so if you can't get hold of your agent, they're, they're putting out the information to, to call their 800 number. Uh, they're going to do partial payments to get people started and give them some living expenses. So they're speeding that up. A lot of the other insurance companies do that as well. But this is, I tell people, this is one day at a time. Get somewhere safe. Uh, FEMA, you know, the president has declared the disaster at the request of Governor DeSantis. They have turned on what they call their individual assistance program. A big piece of that that I think people need right now is housing assistance where FEMA will provide uh, vouchers for hotels and motels or rental properties. Understanding there's not a lot of that available in this area with the devastation. So people are going have to go out of that area, but it gives them a place to go to while they start, you know, that recovery process. Yeah. And, and then it's the process of insurance and looking at the uninsured losses and the type of assistance that, that FEMA may be able to provide people. People can get loans too, right? Yeah. I mean, the hierarchy of this, and it, 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 it sounds overly bureaucratic, but it, it's pretty straightforward. If you have insurance, you file your claims, uh, and hopefully that will make you whole. If you have not enough insurance or you didn't have insurance, you had uninsured losses, but you have the financial ability to qualify for a loan, the Small Business Administration makes loans available. And because it's SBA, people think, I'm a homeowner, what's that gonna do for me? Well, yeah, if you lost fences or outbuildings and stuff that your insurance doesn't cover and you need to make repairs, the Small Business Administration makes loans to both businesses and homeowners for the uninsured losses in the disaster area. And then if you don't have insurance, you're, you're, you're economically just not able to take out a loan. That's where the FEMA, <clears throat> FEMA assistance and their individual assistance program comes in. 
and it will provide some funding to people who are uh, who have their homes damaged, but also renters. Uh, most of the you know the insurance and things like that, unless you had renters insurance, you really talk about businesses and homeowners. Uh, the SBA is really geared towards property owners, homeowners, or businesses. But the FEMA program helps people that are both renters as well as homeowners for their uninsured losses. And it's not going to make people whole. And if we didn't have, you know, if we see people who didn't have flood insurance had major damage, the amount of money that FEMA provides is not going to make them whole, but it starts to process. And this is where you're already hearing the congressional delegation, both of the state senators talking about additional assistance. So things like the HUD, uh, community Block Development Grant Program for Disasters will need funds there. And it gives the state and local officials a lot of flexibility in helping recover from this. And, and two examples in, in the state of Louisiana after the 2016 floods and then down in Texas after Hurricane Harvey in 2017. Both states used those Community Block Grant dollars for disasters to provide grants to homeowners to make more repairs so they can get back in their homes in addition to the assistance FEMA could provide. Now you're talking about people who are uninsured or need uh, extra assistance or maybe low income. Um, The other day, Vice President Harris, she talked about how they need to um, have an equity-based plan uh, for resources. And that, of course, got a lot of controversy. Republicans got upset about that and all that. Does that make it difficult when you add something like that, that maybe people will start to wonder, oh, is the government going to decide who the winner and loser is or anything like that? Does that make it difficult for people on the ground? No, because where FEMA needs to be is where the greatest need is, not necessarily uh, based upon you know where people are living. It's more about where the needs are. So if you think about FEMA's programs, if you got areas that are you know better insured, that's not where FEMA needs to be. Now the search and rescue and all that's going to focus on where those impacts are. But in this recovery process, you know what I found is you need to go where the greatest need is. That's not always where the cameras are. That may not always be the parts of the community that everybody sees, but the needs are greater there. Uh, FEMA's programs are really geared to uh, people that don't have insurance or didn't have enough insurance that. Uh, are going to be struggling to recover. Those that have the resources will get through this. They have their insurance. They have the resources. They can get the loans. But where FEMA is going to focus is on the people who don't have that. So this idea that you know we're, we're only going to help some people and not other people isn't really how it works. It's based upon the needs. And so that's the key thing is, is getting to where those needs are. Uh, and that means that you've got to go, in some cases, go find people because it's not always apparent. They don't understand the system. They may not even know how to ask for help. And that's why the other thing you're seeing FEMA do is they're putting people on the ground to start going into neighborhoods to make sure people understand that there is assistance and what that assistance could be. And if they need to help people register and start that application process. Now, I want to ask you about the insurance because suddenly insurance companies have this huge amount of property to deal with and an unbelievable number of people and customers in need, you also have to weigh that against you are dealing with your property. You have to get things out of your property. Things are damaged or destroyed. You have to throw them away. 
you're probably not going to see anyone from the insurance company before you have a chance to do that. What do you do? How do you get rid of things that you know are destroyed before you even talk to somebody with the insurance company? Well, hopefully you got a phone. Even if you don't have cell service, if your phone's got a camera, take pictures of everything the way it was and start cleaning up. And FEMA's clear on this in their uh, guidance on flood insurance. You don't have to wait for the adjuster to show up to start making repairs and mucking out the home. Just take pictures of it, document it, and go to work. So I think you know most insurance companies are going to be very similar to that. Uh, the more you can do to salvage and prevent future damage is actually in the benefit of you and the insurance company. Just take pictures of it on your phone, document it, so that when they get there, you can show them what it was like after the storm before you began to clean up. And that way you can say and show them, this is why we had to throw away this couch and this thing and this thing, so that they can, repl- if, if it's replaceable and, and part of your coverage, then they'll pay for it, right? Absolutely. And again, um, I think, you know, even where you don't have good cellular service, uh, and hopefully people are figuring out and able to charge their phones, but if you've got a, if you got a smartphone and it's got a camera, uh, just take pictures of it and then go to work. What about cars, trucks, boats, those kinds of things? Same thing. Again, I, I think this will be um, where the insurance adjusters are coming in. And again, for people that had their car insurance, that's going to uh, you know depend upon like with saltwater stuff. Those are usually totaled out. Um, so they'll get in there and do it. But uh, it, the biggest thing is, I think, going to be uh, – the challenge has uh, the local governments are going to try to get these roads open, and you got a lot of stranded vehicles. You got boats, and they're going to have to, you know, move them. Uh, that may occur before you can get salvage operations going on. And I, I've been through this before, where sometimes it took us longer to get the boats taken care of than it did the cars and trucks, because you can use tow trucks for that. Boats sometimes are going to be a little bit more work to get in there. Uh, but again, uh, document everything you can. And the, 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 the bigger companies are surging their catastrophic teams from all over the nation. The smaller companies are bringing on contractors uh, to a certain degree where they can get in. They'll start writing and processing as quick as they can. The other areas may be a little more difficult, just like everybody else. Uh, some of those barrier islands, really the only thing going on there is the search and rescue operations and very basic sustainment operations. So it may be longer to get into some of those areas where they'll start working uh, their claims where they can drive and get their people into easier. Unfortunately, we know not everybody's a good person. We've had some arrests for looting. But at this time, in all these disasters, people always show up ready to scam people out of their money, their insurance money, their FEMA money, and all that. What should people know when they're trying desperately to get work done in their home? First thing is FEMA never charges for inspections or charges for the application. Anybody telling you you got to pay them to get FEMA money, they're scamming you. Second thing, anybody that comes in is offering due work, first thing you need to ask for is where's your contractor license? Uh, this is to protect you because if you have unlicensed people on your property who get hurt, you may be now liable not only for the damages you had, but for their workman's comp claim because they didn't have workman's comp on those workers. Also, they may not be doing work to code. You have programs like the Blue Roof Operation that the Army Corps of Engineers is, is putting out there. Again, 
if you register and qualify for that blue roof, there, that's done for you at no cost. It's paid for by the federal taxpayers. So when people are coming in and asking for money up front, be very, very careful. None of the federal programs require you to pay for those services. And make sure the person that is prepared to do the work is a licensed contractor, that they're licensed in that area. Um, and again, I, I think uh, there are people that take advantage of that. We've seen the horror stories where people gave them a check for a roof repair and they never showed back up. So uh, my advice is remember, you never have to pay for FEMA assistance for things like Operation Blue Roof. Uh, those federal services are paid for by the federal taxpayer. Uh, if you have workers coming in who are offering to do work, make sure they're licensed contractors. It protects you, one, from being ripped off financially, but two, the potential liability if any of those workers got hurt on your property and the unlicensed contractor didn't have any workman's comp, you may very well be saddled with that bill as well. One other question for some people, especially like Fort Myers Beach or Sanibel or some of those you know, beautiful places in southwest Florida, they may be second homes. Does that matter if it's not a primary residence, how things happen for people with their insurance or damage or any of it? It doesn't change their insurance because they're insuring the structure, but it does change the federal assistance. Neither the Small Business Administration disaster programs or the FEMA uh, individual programs are going to be able to uh, support secondary homes. Congress intended to this be a primary home response uh, where people have secondary homes and have other options. It's going to go back to their insurance as the primary tool they're going to have to rebuild. And that generally doesn't matter if they're a primary or secondary home. It just matters if they have that structure insured. But for the losses that weren't insured, things like flood insurance, you know, didn't have that or they didn't have enough coverage, uh, the programs that the federal government brings are for the primary residents, not for secondary homes. Gotcha. And lastly, these people who are dealing with all this damage, there's a mental toll for every one of those victims. How is that handled down there? Well, there's a lot of services that will come in, uh, including additional grants to the state for mental health counseling. Uh, federal agencies have their crisis lines opened up for people that just need to talk to somebody, and that's being communicated. But my advice to people is, you know, you're coming off the adrenaline of this. You're now starting to set in how bad it is, and it seems like this will never end. It's never going to get better. You don't even know where to start. And I tell people one day at a time. These are going to be very difficult, long recovery periods. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you have a safe place to stay. Take advantage of the FEMA programs where they can help you get a place to stay. Start the paperwork. Yes, there's paperwork. There's. I don't think you will ever get away from this, but one day at a time. And I can tell you in communities that we, you know, people thought they'd never come back. I've gone back years later and they've come back. If you go to Mexico Beach today, the only real sign that they were wiped out in Hurricane Michael is the El Governor Hotel is still under renovation where they're rebuilding it. But a lot of the area has been totally rebuilt 
In fact, I was driving through there a couple of months ago and I kind of didn't even realize I was in Mexico Beach because I kept looking for the devastation. I realized I just drove in it. And I, it had already been rebuilt. That's, so what, it, that's only four years. Yeah. So it takes time and it seems insurmountable. And you got to work this step by step. But I just tell people, you need to take care of yourself one day at a time. Craig Fugate, former FEMA administrator, former director for Florida Emergency Management. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.